You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. The Bible says you can never please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to God must believe two things. Listen carefully, church. You must believe that he is and that he rewards those who sincerely look for him. See, if I don't believe those two things, I'm not going to pray. Why would I pray if I don't think he's going to reward me or if I don't even believe that he's there? But I got to believe that he is and that he's not only there, but he's a rewarding God. He that comes to God must believe that he is and he's a rewarding God. Today, we have an enriching message from Pastor Jeff on the power of having a personal prayer life. Together, we'll explore the depth and significance of seeking God in the secret place, away from the hustle of life. Discover the transformative impact of an intimate prayer life with Jesus. Get ready to be inspired and equipped to deepen your connection with God, finding solace, guidance, and strength. Let this message lead you on a transformative journey that aligns your heart with His. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, as he continues his message, Private Prayer. Knocking is where doors of opportunity are opened. Asking your needs are met. Seeking your questions are answered. Knocking the doors that nobody can open but him are open. Knock and it shall be opened. He is the one who opens and no man shuts and he shuts and no man opens. So we, we ask and we receive. We seek and he answers us and we find. We knock and the door is open. These are incentives that Jesus gave for prayer. Ask, seek, knock. And isn't it interesting, if you put those three together, the first letter, ask, is A, seek is S, and knock is K, it's ask. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, and knock. Now that's a call to prayer. Every one of those words are prayer words. So everybody say with me, ask, and I'll receive. Seek, and I'm going to find. Knock, and that door is going to open. Give the Lord praise. Come on. Now next, the Lord forbids something when it comes to prayer. You know what he forbids? Prayer for show. He said, when you pray, I don't want you to be like the hypocrites who pretend piety by praying publicly on street corners and in the synagogues when everybody can see them, when everybody can see them and hear them and look at them and go, oh, aren't they spiritual? He said, these words really get me. He said, that's all the reward they will ever get. What reward are they going to get when somebody looks and says, aren't they something? Jesus said, lap it up. That's all you're going to get because you're not going to get anything from heaven if you pray for show. Now, we know what it is to be in a room with somebody that prays for show. Come on, right? We we know what that's like. You're you're sitting there and somebody starts praying. There's a group of you. Oh, thou God, wouldest thou I pray? And they come off with King James English like Jesus spoke in King James. And after a minute or two of their praying, you're very aware that they're really not talking to God, they're talking to you. Jesus said, don't do that. Don't do that. I don't want you to do that. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus always went to the heart of motive. He always dealt with motive. He said, the Old Testament said, you shall not kill. But I say to you, don't be angry at your brother without a cause, because that's what leads to killing. He said, the Bible says, don't commit adultery. 
But I say to you, don't let lust grow in your heart because that's what leads to adultery. He always went down to the motive. The Old Testament dealt with action, but the New Testament deals with the interior, the motive of why we do what we do. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he's always readjusting our motives. So he deals with three things that we do that are spiritual or religious, and that is praying, fasting, and giving. He says, don't pray to be seen by men, don't fast to be seen by men, and don't give to be seen by men. When the offering plate comes down the aisle, don't pull out that $100 bill and pop it. Where people behind you and around you look and go, oh, look at what they're giving. But the Bible says Jesus is watching how we give, he's watching how we fast, and he's watching how we pray. He goes, the heart of motive. He said, don't pray for people to hear you. Now, in Jesus' day, I get a kick out of this, but it was the custom of the Jews to go into the synagogues and pray standing up with outstretched, uplifted hands in the synagogues, and they did the same thing on the street corners. They would go to the street corners and lift their hands and pray really loud in those long, flowing robes and all that religious gear they wore. And people would look and go, look at that. Would you look at them? Are they not men of God? And of course, they got one eye open watching. Who watches them? And Jesus said, if you do it that way, you get your reward right then, lap it up, enjoy it, because it's all you're going to get. But what we want is what Jesus taught. He said, I want you to learn to pray to your father in secret, where nobody looks. He said, pray to your father privately. He said, but you, when you pray, that's talking about his followers, those who really mean business with God. When you pray, now he's not coming against corporate prayer because I read this morning in my devotional that when two or more of us agree together as touching anything on earth, it'll be done by the father in heaven. He's not dissuading us from corporate prayer, but he is calling us to develop a private prayer life, a private prayer life. But you, you, my followers, my children, those who know me, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. That means when you go to get alone with God, God meets you there. You go to a secret place, you get into a secret place, he's right there with you. He's in the secret place with you. He's listening in secret as you are praying in the secret place. You've got God's eye. You've got God's ear. The minute he sees you traveling towards your secret place to pray, he meets you there. He says, well, hello, good to have you in the prayer closet. I've been waiting for you to arrive. But you, my true followers, when you pray, when you pray, I want you to learn to develop a private prayer life. Shut the door. Get into a secret place. So everybody say, pray alone. Go into a room where you can't be bothered. Shut the door. Approach God between you and him alone. And Jesus said he's waiting for you there. He's going to listen to you there. He's hearing you there. You may not sense him. You may be struggling to pray. It may seem like, wow, he's a million miles away, but you pray anyway. This happened to me last night. I went into prayer. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't feel like praying. Anybody with me? Every once in a while, you don't feel like praying? I wanted to pray, and I knew I needed to pray, but I didn't feel like praying. But I went into the quiet place anyway. 
went to the secret place. And, and, I, and I shut myself in, and I got on my knees, and I just began to pray, and I began to give things to God. And all of a sudden, I was not alone. And all of a sudden, there was a grace, and it began to flow. And it began to get so real that I stood up. I got off my knees and stood up. And suddenly, Jesus was in that room with me. And you know what? He talked with me. You know, prayer is two-way. It's not just giving him your needs, but once you're done praying, then listen. Because what does the old song say? I go to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other can ever know. Come on. Come on. That song is all about going to the secret place. I go to the garden alone. I get alone with God. I go where he's waiting for me. I talk to him. I give him my problems, my cares. And then I allow that praying spirit that is within me, the praying Holy Ghost, to pray through me, to put on my heart what to pray for, because he already knows. He's a praying Holy Spirit. Prayer is not twisting God's arm to do what we want him to do. It's entering into his will and praying according to his will. A very popular Christian movie about this very thing is called The War Room. And in The War Room, a woman named Elizabeth is experiencing a troubled marriage. I know that's rare, a troubled marriage. Have you ever noticed how the devil attacks marriage? A troubled marriage. And she doesn't know what to do. And during this time, she goes to work for an elderly woman named Miss Clara, who happens to be a lifelong, fervent prayer. And sensing the stress on Elizabeth about her marriage, she suggests that she fight for her marriage in a prayer closet she calls her war room. She tells Elizabeth, and I'm quoting, in order to stand up and fight the enemy, you need to get on your knees and pray. Elizabeth creates her own secret place in her own home, and there she begins to go and prays over her marriage and her family and begins to bind the devil and enter into intercession for her home. And the movie shows how eventually her marriage turns and is blessed, and the marriage is saved. And the testimony of the movie is that the battle was won in the place of prayer. Now, I thank God for counseling. I believe in counseling. But listen, have you prayed about it? You say, well, well, Jeff, you know, I've talked to my friends about it, I know, but have you talked to your best friend about it? Have you gone into the place of prayer? Have you shut yourself in? And have you bombarded heaven? Have you bound the devil? Have you gone into the war room, the secret place, and prayed over the needs, the attacks, the issues of your life? Have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about it? Because the battles, the great battles of life are fought and won in prayer. We battle not against flesh and blood. You're not dealing with flesh and blood in your home. You're not dealing with flesh and blood in your marriage, not ultimately. But we are battling principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, and rulers of the darkness of this world that are coming against us because we have a J on our chest. 
So isn't it funny how we'll do everything in the world, then finally say, well, I guess I'm going to have to pray. It ought to be first response. It ought to be hit your knees right then when you know you're under attack and pray. How important is a secret place in your life and mine? The Bible reveals that all the great men and women of God, all the heroes of the Bible, were private prayers, all of them. I did a little tracking. Watch this, just a little bit. The patriarchs, the father of our faith, Abraham, his son Isaac, his son Jacob, built altars in every new place. You track them in the Old Testament. Every time they came to a new place in their journey, they built an altar to God, and there they prayed alone to God. Moses went up into the mountain alone and spent, it's hard to believe, but a couple of months up there. And when he came down, his face was glowing in the dark. He was like a Christmas bulb. They had to turn away. They said, Moses, you're going to have to cover up your face because the glow of God is on you. How did the glow of God get on him? He went up into the mountain and he prayed alone to God. Jesus, our Savior, broke away all the time to go into private prayer. As a matter of fact, I've noticed he never made major decisions that were not preceded by prayer. Before he selected his disciples, the Bible says he went up into a mountain and he stayed all night there in prayer to God. And as the sun rose, he came down and walked to the seashore. And there was Peter, and there was John. And he said, follow me, and I'll make you to become fishers of men. He chose them after prayer. He did not make major decisions until he prayed through. And that's the son of God who never had a sin in his life. He prayed privately, as I've already mentioned, in the Garden of Gethsemane before he knew he was going up against the challenge and the trial of his life. He preceded it by prayer. He didn't just go into the trial of the cross unprepared. He prayed all night. He sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Even when his disciples fell asleep and didn't stand with him, he prayed alone in the garden. And I love that it says an angel came and strengthened him. Paul the apostle, the great apostle of the Gentiles, I believe the greatest Christian that ever lived, Paul the apostle, when he was saved, when he was knocked down on the road to Damascus and he went blind and he was led into a certain town and into a certain house, the Bible says he prayed. He prayed. And as he was praying, God spoke to a man named Ananias. And he said, Ananias, I want you to go into a certain house on a street called Straight. How metaphorical is that? The street was called Straight, better than crooked. I want you to go to a street called Straight. And I want you to lay hands on Saul. And Ananias said, no, 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 you don't understand. This guy, he's been wreaking havoc on the church. And Jesus said, it's okay, he's mine now. And Ananias went and laid hands on him. But his sight returned when he had been in the place of prayer. Then he went for three years off into Galatia. And there it says he was alone with God, or Arabia rather. And he was alone with God for three years, getting his theology all straightened up. He spent three years alone with God before heading into any kind of ministry. Paul the Apostle. And, and what was the church born into? What, what was the birthday of the church? The Holy Ghost fell on a prayer meeting. It fell on a prayer meeting. 
The Holy Ghost fell when they were all gathered together in the upper room, 120 of them, and they were praying. And that is when suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were gathered and they were in prayer and they all spoke in dialects they had never learned. And the church's birthday, the church was born in the presence of a prayer meeting, not a business meeting, not a theology meeting, a prayer meeting. If you want to just jump out of the Bible and go into a little bit of Christian history, let me tell you one. We have Susanna Wesley. Susanna Wesley was the mother of John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, who was involved in the Great Awakening. There were only three bright lights in the Great Awakening, George Whitfield, John Wesley, and Charles Wesley. And those three men ushered in a move of God that shook England and shook America. And I believe there would have been no U.S. Constitution if it had not been for the Great Awakening that preceded it. Thousands and thousands were saved. George Whitfield went into the, one of the churches in England. He was a gifted orator. I mean, par excellence, like few in the history of the world. He had a voice that sounded like a bell. 30,000 people could hear him without a sound system. He went to the Church of England. He said, I got to preach. The words on me, he's a young man. Young man, he'd gotten saved and he was on fire. So he went into this Church of England and he preached and he said, you must be born again. And they kicked him out. So he said, all right, you kick me out. I'll go preach somewhere else. And he was walking along one day and he saw a bunch of coal miners and he saw the tunnels that they crawled down into. Most of them died before they were 30 from lung disease, being down in these coal mines. He saw these tunnels, and he knew they were down there. And George Whitfield, this young man, he was in his low 20s when he did this. He shouted down into one of those tunnels, I'm going to be here today at two o'clock to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ if anybody wants to hear it. And he walked away. He came back later that afternoon, and here is a field full of coal miners. He said, I couldn't believe it but I preached the gospel. And he said, I'll never forget seeing the little white rivulets etched into their coal blackened faces from their tears as they heard the gospel. And from then on, he didn't go into buildings. He went into fields. And the great awakening exploded. But watch this. There was a great prayer behind it. Her name was Susanna Wesley. Susanna Wesley had 19 children. Everybody say, oh, my. She had 19 children. Say, oh, my, again, just for my sake. She lost nine of them to death. Ten lived. She lost half of her children. That's the days they lived in. Those days in England were terrible. The lifespan was so low. Susanna's husband frequently left her alone for long periods of time. Even though he was a preacher, he was a bad husband and not a great Christian. He ended up in debtor's prison. He was put in prison for going into debt for his terrible management or mismanagement of his money. So she's got a husband in prison. She's got 10 children walking around. She doesn't know how she's going to feed them. But it just so happened, and by the way, she was, she was also frequently sick. She had all kinds of infirmities and sicknesses, this little woman, Susanna Wesley. 
But Susanna knew Jesus and she knew how to pray and she believed in prayer. And as you can imagine, with 10 children running around this little tiny house, how do you find a prayer closet? The Bible says, one day she advised her children. She said, when you see me with my apron over my head, that means I'm in prayer and I don't want you to bother me. So every day she found her prayer closet by making one. She threw the apron over her head. The kids went, whoop, mom's got the apron on. And there she met with Jesus in the best prayer closet she could find, and she bombarded heaven in prayer. Now I want you to think with me for a minute. Of those 10 children, two of them grew up to lead millions of people to Jesus Christ. John Wesley, the preacher, Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer, and along with George Whitfield, they lit the world on fire. Just three of them. Behind them was a prayer. Come on, everybody. Now I want to close with this. Jesus gave us an incentive. He said, if you pray in secret, your father will reward you in the open. Now notice what the hypocrites wanted, being rewarded in the open. Jesus said, if you'll go to me in secret, I'll reward you openly where it's obvious to people that I have blessed you. Please hear me today. The God of the Bible is a rewarding God. He's a rewarding God. He rewards his people when they respond to him with obedience and faith. Nine times in the Sermon on the Mount alone, just the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about rewards from God's hands for faith and obedience. He promises those persecuted for Christ are going to be rewarded. He promises those who give, pray, and fast for the right motives will be rewarded. He promised those who practice love towards enemies are going to be rewarded. Great is your reward from your Father who is in heaven. The Bible says you can never please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to God must believe two things. Listen carefully, church. You must believe that he is and that he rewards those who sincerely look for him. See, if I don't believe those two things, I'm not going to pray. Why would I pray if I don't think he's going to reward me or if I don't even believe that he's there? But I got to believe that he is and that he's not only there, but he's a rewarding God. He that comes to God must believe that he is and he's a rewarding God. He's a rewarding God. We pray in faith. We water it with patience. We reap it with joy. God rewarded Abraham with a child in his old age after 25 years. He rewarded Moses with Israel's deliverance from Egypt after 40 years. He rewarded Joseph by placing him second only to Pharaoh over all of Egypt after Joseph waited 13 years. He rewarded David with the throne of Israel after 10 years of persecution at the hands of Saul. Pray in faith, water in patience, reap in joy. So we enter the secret place with the confidence that God is a rewarder. Man, and do I hold that up to him like I did last night? Lord, you're a rewarder, and I believe that. I am not praying to a wall. You know how many times I stand over there and say, Lord, I'm not praying to a wall. I have prayed to the living God who is and who rewards. He is and he rewards. He is and he rewards. <laughs> Here's what I know. If I told you somebody was out in the parking lot and they had something really good for you. And all you had to do is go and say, I'm Bill, I'm Sue, and I understand you've got something for me, and I'm here to ask for it. I don't think any of you 
We'll just get in your car and drive away and wave at it. Would you? No, you'd wait in a long line if you had to, to get whatever it is the gift giver had for you. Your name's on it. Your name's on it. There's things up there with your name on. You have not, because you ask not. So can we say together, he is, and he rewards. As Pastor Jeff illustrated in today's message, through private prayer, you can find solace, guidance, and a deeper connection with God. It's in the secret place that your faith is strengthened and your heart is aligned with God's will. Let this message be a call to cultivate a rich and consistent prayer life, drawing nearer to the source of all wisdom and grace. Embrace the transformative journey of private prayer and experience its profound impact on your life. I'll hand it over now to Diane, who will let you know more about Hardwired. For more teachings and information about this ministry, we encourage you to check out hardwired.org. Pastor Jeff Wickwire has many more messages there. You'll find them under the audio tab. This will surely help you be encouraged in the Word. Once again, that's hardwired.org. We want to invite you to come back again next time for another teaching from Pastor Jeff. Daniel has more on that, giving you something to look forward to. Next time on Hardwired with Pastor Jeff, he delves into the significance of learning prayer directly from God. Through biblical examples, you'll discover the transformative power of seeking God's guidance in your prayer life. Explore the beauty of receiving God's divine calling for your life, deepening your intimacy and unlocking the true potential of prayer. Get ready to be inspired and equipped to cultivate a more meaningful and effective prayer journey. Thanks for taking time to be with us today as we studied God's Word. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Jeff, visit hardwired.org. On behalf of Pastor Jeff and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again right here on Hardwired.